0: Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune in to our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, good morning. Good worship, huh? All right. Yeah. Thank you guys for leading us this morning. Cool. Well, uh, glad that you guys are here this morning. Um, <clears throat> I feel like there's some of you who are normally 9 o'clock people but are here at 1045. Is that true? Is that true? There's a couple of you guys. Okay, you're pointing people out. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Like they don't usually sit in that seat. I'm usually here and I haven't seen them before. All right. Um, Well, hey, uh, we're glad that you made it this weekend. A couple quick announcements before we jump into today's message. Um, We've been talking about the school that we're launching in the fall, and if you want to learn some more information about that, you can go after services. Uh, There is going to be an uh, open house where we have kind of a model classroom over there. Some of the parents and, and, and some of the leaders that are involved will be over there. You can ask them questions or you can go online, scgchurch.org forward slash school. Find out some more information. Register if you want. We're launching in the fall and um, and find out how you can be a part of that. Also, uh, we have Rural Family Kids Camp coming up and we are raising funds for that. And if you don't know, that is where we take um, kids out of the foster care system for a week and we just celebrate them. We tell them about Jesus and uh, we need you guys to be able to support that either by being counterintuitive counselors or financially, because of course it is cost-free to them, and so we want to provide that for them. And then Easter is coming up, and so we have Easter signs, uh, lawn signs, you can put them in your lawns at your house, Um, great conversation starters for some of your neighbors, um, or just a way for us to inform some people, hey, we're here, we'd love for you to join us on Easter. And um, also, uh, normally, uh, we just kind of mention our giving, is we don't pass around buckets or anything like that, although we do have some offering, um, kind of, I don't even know what those are. Big offer—they're on their way out. You'd see them, uh, and, or you can give online, which is what most people do. And so, if you are a part of this church and this is a part of your church family, please uh, continue to give in that way. It's that's part of our worship. So, um, we are in week. What are we in? Week three of our series called "Under the Influence." And the the idea behind this is, as we're working through the book of Colossians, we found out that Paul is writing to this church because they are starting to fall under the influence of some of the things that are happening within the culture outside. And so they're starting to adapt certain beliefs and behaviors. And so what he does is he lays out this really deep theological concept of who Jesus is. And we talked about that in week one. And by the end of it, we just said, okay, the simplest way to explain who Jesus is, is Jesus is everything like he is the creator he is the sustainer the owner redeemer restorer of everything and today we're going to be going to chapter 2 of Colossians so if you have your bibles or bible app you can read along with me and, and we're going to be going through and I'm going to start at verse 6 and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read our passage for the today and then I'm going to kind of pull some things out of it maybe some highlights some things that we can learn from the from what Paul's saying here so Here's what it says. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in your in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So here's what Paul is saying. He's giving a warning to the church. And he says, um, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. A couple verses before this, he calls it fine sounding arguments. And so if we look at the scripture and we look at our own lives, there's really two things that are going to disrupt our relationship with Jesus. The first one is disobedience, that's just plain old sin is we're going to say, you know what? I know what Jesus wants from me, but I'm not going to do it. I'm either going to ignore him or I'm going to head in the opposite direction. The other thing is deception, is we have begun to believe things that aren't true. There's some deceptive or hollow philosophies in which we have begun to um, believe and act out in our own life. And that's what's happening there, is there is a deceptive philosophy or idea that the church has started to buy into, Now, we don't know exactly what it is, but we get little insights into what's happening. And so, in the surrounding culture, uh, Judaism and paganism were were strong. And so, what they started to do is they started to take some of the beliefs and some of the lifestyles of those two things and then put that into the church, into their Christian faith. And Paul says, that's headed towards destruction. You don't want to implement those things into your life. And so, uh, my thought was, okay, if Paul were to write us a letter today— to the church of Cyprus, what would he say? Like, what would be the hollow and deceptive philosophy that he might address that we've allowed to infiltrate our lives? What, what are the things that we've adopted from the culture around us and we've started to put into our Christian faith? Now, I'm going to warn you. Um, today, I'm going to hit some hot topics a little bit. Some things that you may, in today's uh, kind of climate, is here as political statements. I'm, not, I'm actually not making any political statements today. I want you to look at this, if you can, uh, from a philosophical perspective, is, okay, we just want to understand what's happening in the world around us, just like Paul was saying, hey, here's what's happening in the world around you, I want to try to understand some of the things that are happening in our world, and, and, and actually get behind some of the events and see what the philosophy is behind it. Uh, so, one of the most telling events, I think, in the last couple of years, and I could, have, I could have had a ton of different examples, but this is the one that sticks out in my mind is the moment in which the, there was a confirmation hearing for our newest Supreme Court justice. And they asked her this very simple question. What is a woman? And she couldn't answer the question. And, and I don't care where you're at politically or even in your faith, that is, that's interesting. That the person who lives in the most um, powerful an advanced society in human history cannot answer a fundamental question that all of humanity has been able to answer. What is a woman? How is, so here's the question. How did we get here? Because I think there's this philosophy of life behind this. We call it a worldview. This philosophy of life that has ended up in this place in which we can't answer fundamental and basic questions. And it's not just a philosophy that those people have bought into. It's a philosophy that all of us have bought into because it's a part of the culture in which we live. It's a part of the water that we swim. It's the DNA in which we don't even know that we've bought into it. It's inherent. It, it almost feels like common sense to us as we just go, yeah, of course. That's just how the world, the, the world is that way. Let me give you a couple examples. Now, um, don't answer these the way that you think the church answer is supposed to be you got to answer them the way that you think the average person would answer these. All right. Uh, fill in the blanks. Uh, live whose truth? Live your truth. Okay. You can... It's participation. This is... the point. When I point, that's you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Be... Be yourself. Okay. Again. Let's go. Be yourself. Follow your... There you go. Learn to love... Yourself. That's right. Do what makes you... Yes. Chase your? Now, what is the common denominator of all of these popular sayings? Yes. Me, me, you, you, me, me, you, you. And this is kind of uh, the slogans for what has become to, by many philosophers, known as expressive individualism or other people might call it hyper or radical individualism. And the basic idea is that the internal psychological self is primary and ultimate, So throughout history, we may have formed our identity and our purpose and found value and meaning by looking to God or by looking to our country or our tribe or our family, but now we've rejected all external ways in which we can know ourselves and which we can define ourselves, and we've now gone internal. And so we we begin to define who we are and, and what our purpose is and what our value is, not by external things, but by internal Carl Truman, in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, um, he writes about the history of this philosophy of life called expressive individualism. Fascinating book, very, very uh, in-depth analysis of how we got to where we were at. And I read it a few years ago, and it, it honestly changed the way that I at least view the world and contemporary culture. Let me just highlight a couple things that he talks about. The first one is, he says, go back to the, about the 18th century and a philosopher named R- Rousseau. And he says... The purpose of life is happiness, which is not original to him, by the way. But he begins with that assumption. And he says, man is born free and good. And in our natural state, we act morally upright, but society has corrupted us. It's made us sick. It puts us in competition with one another. And if we just go back to our natural state, our childlike state, um, and we limit society's influence on us, then we can become who we are supposed to be, which is good. He says this. He says, all I need to do is look inside of myself. So my truest identity, my purpose, my meaning, it's not in the relationships. It's not in the roles. It's not in my responsibilities. No, 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 no. It's, not, it's none of those things. It's within me. I simply have to look within and feel like, and see who I feel like I am. And so he did this he had four children and he dropped them off at an orphanage which meant a certain death in those days and he went and explored who he wanted to become and he liberated himself from all his roles and responsibilities now there's a couple tenets that we find of this new philosophy of life the first one is the purpose of life is happiness again not original to him but the way that he defined happiness and how he pursued it was and then he says man is born good Now, I gotta be honest, I have two objections to this. One is through experience, the other is through scripture. Malcolm Muggridge said this. He said, The depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time, the most intellectually resisted fact. He says, You don't believe it, but the evidence is everywhere. Man is not good. We're not good, we're evil. Why do we continue to resist the fact that man and its core, we're not good people? So for me, this has become more and more real over the last couple of years. And I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on, what your faith is. You have to admit you've gotten some insight into human nature that you haven't liked. Like you look at it and you just go, I don't know who to trust. I don't know who to believe. It feels like everybody's out for themselves. It feels like everybody's lying and cheating and manipulating. And it's a mess out there. Uh, there's an article recently. That said um, It listed all of the institutions And how we have lost our trust In all of our major institutions So education, science um, Politics and government e- Even the church And it says guess what The um, number one Or the most excuse me, The most trusted media outlet is In the United States The Weather Channel <laughs> The Weather Channel That is the most trusted And guess what Only 52% of people trust it. What I think is great, like, I mean, not great, but it, like, just gives you insight into all of us are suspicious. All of us look out, we go, I think you're trying to sell me something, and I'm not buying it. You think it's going to be sunny today? I see rain. That's right. It's because... uh, So here's my, my Cody analysis. Is I think that we have all been raised and live... In a very unique time in human history. We've all lived in this place after World War II until today in which we have the most peace and prosperity anyone has ever seen before. And because of that, we haven't really got a clear view of human nature as it really is. Because if you went to the greatest generation, the ones who fought in World War II, and you asked them, do you think man is naturally good or evil? What do you think their answer would have been? Well, as I was storming the beach of Normandy, I would say they're a bunch of sweethearts. No, no. Is they got a view that I think most of us haven't gotten and some of us are, are beginning to see is that deep down inside, we're not sweethearts. We're not good people who sometimes do bad things. We are bad people who sometimes do good things. There's um, another tenet here of, the, of this new faith, this new worldview that we must look within ourselves for life's answers. If we are going to discover who we are supposed to be and where we're supposed to go in life, it's not by consulting other people, other institutions, even God. It's by looking deep within ourselves. So recently, uh, quarterback Aaron Rodgers was um, in the news because he went on a darkness and isolation retreat. And the purpose of this was he wanted to determine what, what his future should look like. And it said, in uh, one of the articles that described the dark retreat is a practice open to those who are called to dive deeply within themselves. So if you have a question about what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to be, you are going to look deep within yourself. Here's my, my issue with this, just on a personal level. Um, I've shared a few times that I have OCD. And OCD gives me these intrusive thoughts And it makes me feel like there's an emergency when there's not. And so when I look deep within myself to find out what what is true, what is real, what is beautiful, do you know what I see down there? Chaos. I see when I look down there, it's happened this week, my son says, dad, my stomach hurts. Now, it could have been because he missed dinner, or it could be because he has stomach cancer, and so I'm going to spend the next five hours researching online, how do I deal with this? Because I look deep within myself, and that's what I found there. Now, you laugh and you go, that's ridiculous. No, no, no. You don't think you're the same way? Maybe you don't have that specific, but when you look deep within, if we really are born sinful, when we look deep within ourselves, what we find in there is not something that is pointing us towards the good and the beautiful and the true. It is something that points us towards evil and destruction and sin, Mine might be a little bit more obvious on occasion than yours is, but all of us have that deep within us. The other issue is if we don't understand that we are fundamentally broken, we will continue to try to fix ourselves. We'll go, no, 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 I just make some mistakes. I'm not perfect, but like I'm working on it. Really? Okay, so then you can be your savior. All your mess can be cleaned up by you. But if you understand you're fundamentally broken and you can't fix yourself, what you're going to have to do is you're going to say, I'm going to have someone who's got to fix me, who has to save me because I'm a mess. I'm broken. I can't do this myself. It's going to open you up to Jesus. A man named Nietzsche comes along, and he makes this famous statement. He said, God is dead. And what he meant by this is, uh, now that we've kind of come through the Enlightenment, and we look at the silly uh, belief of God and we've we've eliminated the need and the belief of god we've found it ridiculous and so we have killed in essence the belief in god and not only did he kill the belief in god but he wanted to rid all of the remnants of god he said get rid of christianity all of its morals all of its ethics all of its values and we can become our own masters we can determine our destiny there's not right, there's not wrong, there's not the way things should be, there's nothing to conform to. We get to decide for ourselves who we want to be, how we want to live, what the purpose of our life is. And if I were to give a modern day scholar who represents this most clearly, it would be this woman named Elsa. You've you've heard her songs before. Especially if you have kids. One of her most famous lines could have come straight out of Nietzsche. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. I'm accountable to nobody. There is no God. There is no thing above me. I am the end all, be all. We get a couple more tenets here. We get the uh, tenet of moral relativism. that All morals, all ethics, all these judgments about what is good and evil, all of those are purely subjective. They're personal preferences. They're determined by the culture that you live in. And so there is no such thing as objectively right or wrong. And we get the tenet of self-definition that I get to define everything about who I am and what I value and what I want to do. Now, how did this work out for him? If you know anything about his life, um, the last 10 years of his life was in an asylum in which he ran around naked claiming to be Jesus, Buddha, and Napoleon. Didn't really work out all that well for him. And I don't think it really works for us either. So take uh, moral relativism. The idea that what is true for you is true for you. No one actually lives like this. No one actually, I've heard people say it, but nobody lives like this is true. Because if you walked out in the parking lot right now and you saw that someone stole your car, you would go, I dislike that. That is not my preference. No, you wouldn't say it. You would say, that is wrong. That was wrong of somebody to do. Wrong? Wait a minute. I thought it was all subjective here. Or is there a time in, or a place in human history in which it's okay to abuse a child for fun, it's always wrong. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you say, I don't care where you live, it's always wrong because it's objectively wrong. Moral relativism, we give lip service to it, but it's unlivable and it's downright irrational at times. Or self-definition, that I get to define who I am. Yeah, Yeah, maybe to a very small degree you get to define who you are and that's great, but you don't really get to. I mean, think about how much is determined Uh, things are determined outside of you, where you were born, the skills and abilities you were born with, the resources that you have, the culture that you're part of. All of those things determine who you are. And so self-definition is an illusion. Along comes Oscar Wilde, and he adds to this idea of self-definition, and he says, okay, if you're going to define yourself, the most important thing to do is you have to be authentic. You have to be true to yourself. And once you figure out once you've defined what is authentically you then you need to go out into the world and express it. And if anyone tries to shape you or tell you that you're wrong you need to eliminate them from your life because no one can tell you who you're supposed to be. You know who you're supposed to be. Nobody can tell you otherwise. You need to be around people who are a positive, who are affirming, who who love you just the way that you are. And he ended up at the end of his life in jail. Because of 25 counts of gross indecencies with young boys and and men. But he was being authentic. He was being himself. He looked down to his deepest desires and that's what authentically he felt. And so he expressed it and lived it out. This of authenticity and self-expression. When I first came across the phrase when I was reading self-expression or express yourself, I went, I can name like five songs right now that say that. Like, that's the first thing that popped in my mind. And depending on, you know, your generation and music style that you listen to, you could probably name a couple as well. First thing that popped in my mind, N.W.A., express yourself, because I'm gangster like that, right? It's like, <laughs> express yourself. Yes, yes. Now, maybe it was Madonna for you, you know, maybe it was Lady Gaga kind of had her own version of this, I mean, I think it was the Charlie Wright or Charles Wright had one, and It's like every generation for the past 50 years has had a version or numerous versions of this idea that you need to go out and express yourself. But there's a problem here. What if you look deep within yourself and you see these desires and you say, these two things are authentically me and yet they're in conflict I I can't do both. I can't be both of these things. So I came across an interview yesterday where they're interviewing a man who uh, was from a rural village in the Middle East, and he was a polygamist. He had 17 wives and 84 kids, which is just a lot of work. That's a lot of work. (laughs) And my bet is that he would say that's a big part of his identity, all these wives and all these children. But let's say that that same person also had this other part of him that felt equally as authentic, that he was non-binary. Which one of those two is the authentic him? Well, it really depends on what culture he finds himself in. Within the culture in the Middle East, he's a polygamist with 84 kids and 17 wives, and that's at the core. And his non-binary authentic self is suppressed. He doesn't exercise that part of himself. But guess what? If you he came here, it would be the complete opposite. You would say you're a misogynist, you're abusing these women, and so you must rep- uh, repress this version, this polygamous, misogynist part of yourself, and you must express your non-binary sexuality. See, it's silly. There's so many authentic selves within us that are at conflict, that change, that how, how can you really even express an authentic self? Because It changes. And it's dependent upon where you're at. Freud, like Rousseau, believed the point of life was not just uh, happiness, but true happiness was found in sexual satisfaction. he, He made this move where he says, sex is not just a part of life. It's not just something that we participate in. It is the most important part about humanity. It is the core of our identity. And so if you have these sexual desires... And that's a core part of who you are. And someone, societal norms, they try to to repress those things. What they're doing is they're saying that you can't truly be yourself. And so we need to be liberated sexually so we can become who we truly authentically are. Wilhelm Reich writes a book in 1936 called The Sexual Revolution. And in it, he takes aim at the nuclear family. And he says, this is the source of fascism. It teaches you to worship and obey a dominant father figure and makes you submissive to the ruling class. And so what we must do in order to be sexually liberated is we need to dismantle the nuclear family and all of its sexual morals. Instead, we have to be liberated to fully express ourselves. Even children need to be able to express themselves sexually. And if the family gets in the way, the state needs to intervene. Is any of this sounding familiar to you? And from this, this is back in the 30s, from this comes the sexual revolution. We believe that sex is at the core of our identity, and to be fully liberated, we need to be able to fully express ourselves sexually. And so what is the result of the sexual revolution been on our society? I don't think many people would argue that it's been a good for us. We're seeing the results still, and we're experiencing today because we're still a part of it, is we see the shame and regret and anger, the disease, destruction of relationships, emptiness, loneliness, it's torn apart, countless marriages and families, fatherless homes, abortion, and most recently, addiction to pornography. That's been the result of, but hey, at least we got to have a lot of sex, right? Right? I was listening to, or I came across this, this podcast recently, not a Christian podcast. The clips have been all over the place, and so we've been talking about it on staff, and it's been really interesting because it's these two younger guys, and they have um, a group of younger women that they're having conversations with, and the primary topic is gender and sex, and this is crude, but I'll, I'll kind of tell you what they talk about here. It's they, one of the hot topics is um, what they call body count. How many people have you slept with? And here's what's shocking every single time, is when they talk about this, and then it gets back to the host, the men say, well, if you have too high of a body count, men don't want to marry you. And these women are shocked. What do you mean? What do you mean? We all bought into this, right? Like, sex is not moral. It's satisfaction. It's like a craving. It's a desire that we fulfill. How could you say that this is going to affect my future? And the guys say, you know, we're just not interested. Yeah, we don't want a woman who's done that. And they point to some of the stats. They say, look, there is a direct correlation between the amount of sexual partners that you've had prior to getting married and your fulfillment and happiness in that marriage. There is a direct correlation. The more sexual partners that you've had, the less satisfied and likely that you're going to have a lasting relationship. And man, I'm heartbroken for these women. Because it's not just them, it's an entire culture we've bought into this. We bought into this lie. Now here's what I want to tell them is you don't have to believe the lie and there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness. There's restoration. It's found in Jesus. You, you can't keep going this way. It is, you can turn around. You can this can be uh, redeemed, but you have to come to Jesus. But they continue on in that path, and they double up, down on it, and they just say, "You know uh, this is the life that we're going to live in." and they're free to do that." But this is the result of this philosophy of life, expressive individualism. As we can see most of today's hotly debated issues come down to this, this worldview at the end of the day. Let me list a couple. Abortion. When does the unborn have rights when the mother feels like it does? Gender ideology, it's no longer about a person's sex, something that is objective and external to them, but it's about an inner subjective feeling, free speech. If now the psychological is primary and most true about us, when people use words to against us, it is felt like violence. No fault divorce. The most important thing in a marriage is not about the other, it's not about the children, it's about my personal satisfaction and happiness, and so I can leave it if I need to. LGBTQ rights It's no longer about disagreeing with what someone does with their body or in the bedroom. It's now disagreeing about who that person is at their core. Modesty. Don't tell me how to dress because this is a part of my self-expression. This is who I am and I am showing the world. Hookup culture. Sex has no moral value. It's just about personal satisfaction. Now, you hear me list those things. And there is a segment of our church that goes, that's right. You tell them. It's right because I know I'm right on those issues. Oh, you think, it's just, you think it's just one side of it? No, no. I said at the beginning, this is a part of our DNA. This is a part of our culture. And so maybe your thing is not sexual freedom, my body, my choice. Maybe it's financial freedom, my money, my choice. Uh-oh, here we go. Don't you tell me what to do with my money. I earn that money. I own that money. It is my time. It is my talents. It is my future. Don't you try to get in my kitchen and tell me what to do. See, you have the same ideology. Same deal. My body, my choice, my money, my time, my resources, my choice. It's all the same. It even has infiltrated the church. And I think this is what Paul would get to. Is he would look at the church today and he would say, you know, many of the issues you're experiencing within the church are a result of this deceptive philosophy. So a hot topic we've talked about is deconstructionism. Is people walking away from their faith um, in droves. A lot of the next generation. Well, think about this. If you have always believed deep down that you are the center of the universe, you are the authority, that you know best for your life and you get to determine who you want to be and where you want to go, when that comes in conflict with what God says or maybe the church wants to tell you, what are you going to do? You either have to submit your life and give it up or you have to say, "Mm, no, thank you. I will live in disobedience or I'm out of here. I'm done with this faith. You go to one of your community life groups rooted. You start to get to know these people and then you start to talk about strongholds and you, you, know, you say, okay, this is my stronghold. And then people start to try to keep you accountable for it. And you go, excuse me, you're not the boss of me. Don't try to tell me how to live. Don't try to tell me what to do. I'm in charge. Now last night I did this and I, I've gotten some hate mail for this next part. And so I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to say what I said last night, but I will give you insight into what I did say. Um, and by the way, I, here's how I wanted to respond to these emails, because I'm like kind of calling out people who are like lukewarm. And I go, hey, if you think what I said was insulting, do not read the Bible, okay? It is going to be, it is going to be, you are going to be so mad at Jesus later, okay? Because like he talks about lukewarm, and you know what he says? He says, I vomit you out of my mouth. I wouldn't say that. I'm much nicer than Jesus is on this issue. We, when we come to church, our default attitude is, okay, well, what am I going to get out of this? This sermon better uplift me because I need to have a good Monday. You better talk about something that I like. You better play the songs that I want to hear. Where's that singer that I like? Did people come in and just celebrate the fact that I was here? Did anyone even notice that I'm in this place? Do you know who I am? See, we think that this is all about us. Our default position without even thinking about it is, no, no, this is about me. Okay, and this is the part where I got in a lot of trouble last night. Um, And again, I'm not going to tell you guys this, but I'll just tell you what I said to them is um, I, (laughs) here's what I said, here's what I said, okay, 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 you asked for it. You asked for it. (laughs) I said, here's here's the problem. And I think this is one of the things that um, us as consumers do is I see people, and so maybe you're you're checking this out and you're not even sure what you believe, not talking to you. You're not even sure what this is all about. Just listen and you're gonna like this, okay? There are people who sit in not just this church, but all churches in the West, and they can come here for years. I'm a Jesus follower, I love Jesus, and you know what I see when I look into their seat? Just a black hole. The black hole of consumerism. Because there is no contribution coming out of there. It is me. I'm a seat filler. That really angered some people. I'm a seat filler. I'm a body in a seat, but I don't contribute anything because it is all about what I get. It's all about feeding me. I don't contribute any of my time or my resources or my money. I am a giant black hole in the auditorium. Yeah. And see, that's, that's that expressive individualism is it's about me. This place was built for me. This sermon is for me. The songs are for me. This campus is for me. The ministries are for me. I have really bad news for you. They're not for you. No, it's not for you. If you're a Christian. Now, you can participate, but you've got to contribute. This is a place where people can come and find Jesus for the first time. This is where lives can be changed. But this is not about you. Life is not about you. None of this is about you. No, I know. I know. I know. So how's this working out for us? How's it working out for our culture? Making life about us. Well, we're more anxious, we're more depressed, we're more divided, we're more angry than we've ever been before, and if we look at ourselves as Christians, um, it's incompatible with our faith. By definition, we cannot have our lives be about us if our lives are about Jesus, Meaning being a Christian. Here's what Paul says. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Right before this, he says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Because if Jesus really is God incarnate, then in him is everything that we're looking for. The wisdom, the knowledge, the joy, the satisfaction, all of that, the intimacy, everything that we're going out and we're trying to fill ourselves with, it's only found in him. Because Jesus has everything that we're looking for. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Here's what Paul's saying is when you are in Christ, meaning you're in a relationship with him, when you're bonded to Jesus by giving your life over to him, by saying, you know what, I'm no longer in control. You're in control of my life. What he does is he trades places, and now his righteousness becomes your righteousness. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your broken, corrupted self anymore, he sees his son. Jesus. and It's all provided for on the cross. And so when we are in him, we have everything that we need. I was trying to figure out how to illustrate this yesterday. And I was sitting up in my dad's office and I saw this on the shelf. And these dolls, um, I asked him, I said, where do these come from? He said, I don't know. They've just been around. They've been around forever. And my kids for the last uh, 10 years have been playing with these things. They come into Papa's office and this is the first thing that they grab. They love this thing. And for a long time, it's kind of funny watching them because they, uh, they take it apart, but they can never figure out how to put it back together. So they'll come in, and they'll, they'll take it apart, and, and I was thinking about kind of what this represents. Let's see if we can make sense of this. So let's say that this is Jesus. And when we come into a relationship with him, it says that Jesus now is in us and so let's say that this is us. So Jesus is now in us. But then something else happens. It also says that 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 we are in Jesus and that Jesus has all the treasures, everything that we could ever want is also found in him. And so another thing is literally all on the same shelf as these little coins. My kids put these all over papa's office as treasures to go and discover. And so this treasure, the thing that we've been looking for all along, is found in Jesus. But it also says that now we are found in him. And then next chapter in Colossians, which we'll talk about next week, it says, And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when you give your life over to him, this is who you are. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. You have everything that you could ever want, and you are hidden with Christ in God. Right next to that same figure is this one. And my kids have never taken this one off the shelf. In the 10 years that my kids have been playing with this, this one always remains on the shelf. Because there's nothing to it. In fact, it's got a big hole in the top. It's hollow. It's almost like it's bought into a hollow and deceptive philosophy. And it's useless. And so when they look at the two, they go, okay, which one do I find more attractive? The one that is hollow Or the one that is filled with incredible treasures. See, this is what happens when we stop going from being people who are in ourselves to people who are in Christ. When we are in ourselves, what happens is we end up being full of deceptive and hollow philosophies. This next thing is going to make you happy. It's going to fulfill you. It's going to satisfy you. You should build your life around this. Make your identity founded. in. And what ends up happening is time after time after time is we're hollow at the end of it. And Paul says, no, 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 What you need to do is you need to come and give your life to Christ. And he will be in you and you will be in him and you will be hidden in God and you will have all the treasures and everything that you could ever have wanted. But it's got to, your life has to be about not being in you, but in him. I was thinking about how do I, it's like a big concept. It's the one that I'm still really wrestling with. Like how do you, how do you begin the process of being in him instead of being in yourself? Well, well, the first is giving your life over to him, of course. But how do we begin to live this out? What does it look like to live on a daily basis being in Christ? And right before service last night, I'm praying through this and I'm going, God, I don't, I don't know what you want me to say. Do we just walk out and go, good luck out there? And then this popped into my mind. Well, you know, this is what Jesus says when he was teaching the disciples how to pray. Maybe this is the answer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, he told the disciples, and I think he tells us Look, this whole philosophy of life at its core is the same sin of Adam and Eve. I want to be God. I want to be in charge. It's manifesting itself in different ways, and it may be even more destructive in some ways, but at the end of the day, it's still the same sin. And so Jesus' solution was, here's what you got to do. Wake up every day, say these words, believe these words, and begin to live out these words. It's not my kingdom. It's your kingdom. It's not my will. It's your will. Because I want to be somebody who not just lives for themselves and lives in themselves, but I want to be a person who lives in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, the world is, uh, nothing in the world is surprising to you. (laughs) There's no new sins. Um, All the philosophies at the end of the day are all directed in the same direction, which is us trying to replace you. And Lord, sometimes they're more deceptive than other times. Sometimes we've bought into things that we may not even realize we've bought into. And yet, Lord, you continue to have the solution. You continue to have the answer. You continue to be the answer to what it is that we're looking for. And so, Lord, my, my prayer is that we would walk out of here and that we would have a new and fresh commitment to not our will, not building our kingdoms, but building yours. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that as we walk through... Um, Walk through this, this coming week that we would have this fresh vision of who it is that you want us to be, and how it is that you want us to live. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Today, we pray. Amen. All right, we guys stand with me. Hey, um, if you have any like thing that you're kind of fresh, frustrated about, any complaints, um, Doyle at SecrestGrace.org is where you should send those emails. Um, also, grab one of the Easter things on your way out. All right, guys, have a great week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.